our summer series, which is called The Gospel According to Jesus. Today we're going to be talking about what I consider to be one of the most interesting parables that Jesus told. Uh, and he talks about, at least in a very small segment of that parable, uh, about the last being first and the first being last. And I think most of us, we've, we've heard this parable many times, many times. But certainly when we first heard it, I think most of us probably were a little bit uh, uh, puzzled by it. Uh, maybe even a little, a little concerned by it because we didn't understand exactly what Jesus was talking about. But I hope that by the end of this, uh, uh, this study period that we will in, in fact have a little better handle on that and know what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the first being last and the last being first. Before we get started, let me have a word of prayer and then we will get in with the lesson. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to come and to study your word. We thank you for the refreshing rain that we're getting this afternoon and we, we, we praise you and thank you for that, Father. It's a break in the heat. But we also thank you for uh, those who give up their time with Kyle and, and, and certain Ray and Jim and others who have uh, worked uh, in the last three months, actually, and, and uh, using their time and their talents to further your purposes by these videos and other ways in which we are attempting to reach out to those who are quarantined at home or otherwise unable to come to church. We also thank you, Father, for the staff and the leadership of this church who have prayerfully considered our path and the process of worship during these past several months. But right now, Father, we pray that you would draw our hearts to you, that you would guide our minds, that you would fill our imaginations, and that you would control our wills so that we may be totally dedicated to you. We ask, Father, that you would use us as your will, always to your glory and the welfare of your people, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we do pray. Amen. All right. Today we're going to be, again, as I said, we're going to be talking about the first and the last. I think many of you, my, my little segue here, many of you will have probably read Pilgrim's Progress. Um, it may come as no surprise to you that Pilgrim's Progress is actually the second most popular English language book that's ever been written. It's been read by more people than any other English language book aside from the Holy Scripture. In the, uh, and for those of you who have read Pilgrim's Progress, you probably are familiar uh, with the story. It is, it's sort of a Christian journey or a, a journey of a young Christian as he goes through his life. And as he gets towards the end of the, uh, of the book, he makes a, a revelation which is, which is sort of shocking at the moment that you're reading. It's something that you come across that you're really not prepared to, when you, to uh, understand when you first hear it. But what he says is that uh, there is an entrance to hell even at the gates of heaven. And so when, when you stop to ponder that, of course... Uh, you begin to think about, well, who in the world could get to the gates of heaven and find their way into the entrance to hell? And, of course, one of the first things that pops in our mind, of course, would be one of the, one of the disciples, and that would have been Judas. He was at, literally and figuratively at the gates of heaven, and he found himself at an entrance to hell. You know, at, at the same time we talk about there being an entrance to hell at the gates of heaven, there is also this contrasting a reality, and that is that no matter how 
dissipated a person might be by sin, uh, no matter how overcome, no matter how overwhelmed, no matter how involved in, deeply immersed in sin, no matter how bad that might be, if that person surrenders himself to the Lord Jesus Christ or herself to the Lord Jesus Christ, he or she will receive full salvation. Not an abbreviated form of salvation, not a, a, uh, a salvation that has, uh, based on extenuating circumstances, but a full salvation just as any other uh, person would have who have not spent their life dissipated by sin. We, we talked about last week in our uh, lesson about all that we are, that we exchange when we come to Christ, when we profess our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We do that giving all that we are for all that He is. Now, in, in Matthew, which is our scripture for today, uh, we're going to be talking about this parable where Jesus is talking to His disciples, again trying to give them some idea of what heaven is like. And the, and the economy of heaven, if you will. I'm in Matthew, the 20th chapter, and I'm going to read the first 16 verses here. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he, out, all, when he went out also about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out, and he found others standing idle, and he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. And so when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said uh, to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came, or, and when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, that would have been about five o'clock in the afternoon, and they started work at six in the morning. So at those that came to work at five in the afternoon, each to receive a denarius, which was a full day's wage. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more because they'd been there since six or, or maybe nine or twelve or, or uh, three in the afternoon. And so their, their expectation would be that, well, if the ones who got here at five o'clock got a full day's wage, we must be going to get more. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. And he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. And I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things, or is your eye evil because I am good? Now, I, I, I must admit, certainly many, many years ago when I first read this parable, or had the parable even read to me in, in some context, is that my immediate response was, well, you know, that, that, that doesn't sound fair. You know, those people who only work for an hour, 
uh, you know, escaped all of the hard labor all day long in the heat of the day, but yet they came at 5 o'clock, and when, when the, they got off of work at 6, they got a full day's wages. And of course, this, this parable is not about fair labor practices. This parable is about the kingdom of God. This is not, uh, again, this is a spiritual lesson, not a, not, a, not a lesson about how we ought to treat those who are uh, working for us in the worldly context. Jesus is describing how things operate in the sphere where God rules through His grace and in the kingdom where Christ rules and reigns. So that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 19.30, if you, if you flip back over to the... Actually, the, the verse there in verse 16 in, in the uh, uh, 20th chapter, uh, similar, but I, I the, go back to the 30th verse of the 19th chapter, and you'll see it reads there, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And that, that sounds a little bit esoteric, you know, sort of a mystery kind of thing. So, sort of, what does he mean? What does he mean by that? Does it mean all of those who are running and, and perhaps they come in first, they're going to go to the end of the line and, and they're going to be last? Or does it mean the ones that, or does it, you know, does it also entail the ones last being first? What does that mean? And what most commentators agree is that what we're talking about here is Jesus describing what the kingdom of heaven is like for those who profess their faith and his salvation. And that is, is that all will be treated equally. We all finish together. There are no first place victors. There are no last place finishers. If we, if we in fact are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the profession of faith in Him, then we are all enter into His kingdom at the same time. We all finish together. Of course, it does bring up, it's, it's, it invariably brings up for those who hear this parable, what about this issue of fairness? And of course, Jesus talks about that. Uh, if you look back up, he says, but he answered one of them and said, friend, I'm doing with you, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I'm good? And of course, we have to admit, that's, that's one of the reasons that uh, we start very early in life trying to, uh, we, we use at every opportunity that idea of, I'm not being treated fairly. I mean, when we were kids, if we had siblings, you know, uh, our siblings were getting treated better than we were. So we were always quibbling about what's fair and what's not fair. Mom and dad didn't treat me fairly. But inequity is not always injustice. And that's one of the things that Jesus is trying to say here in this parable is, is just because people are treated differently in your estimation, or the perception is they're treated differently, uh, they didn't have uh, 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 different outcomes, if you will. Those who worked longer didn't get more because they worked longer. They both got the same, or they all got the same. And that's what Jesus promised them, a day's wages for working. And so this the idea that I should have gotten more because I worked longer, that idea is based upon our own sense of envy about those who didn't work during the, you know, the, the hot part of the day or the, or the 11 hours as opposed to uh, uh, one hour. It's, it's all about the sin in our heart, not, the, not the, uh, the inequity of what God did or what Jesus did. Or, or, and, of course, that's who we're talking about here. 
the landowner, is that, that we have this perception that there was some inequity that took place. But inequity certainly does not indicate injustice. The other thing is, is about equality. As, as Jesus made the, the point that he made there is that everybody is going to the first will finish last, or the first will be last, and the last will be first. We all finish together, and that is is that we have or we share the same outcome for our work in the kingdom or our profession in the kingdom. So it, there is no unfairness, and there is no inequality in that. Now. There are some principles that, that uh, if you, in reading this particular parable, that you can, uh, you can sort of extricate from the words there. From, and, and I want to talk about those and, uh, for just briefly. And that will be all for this particular fair parable. But these are some, some principles about the nature of salvation that, that Christ makes plain in this parable. First of all, he makes plain that it is God who initiates salvation. Hebrews 12, 2 talks about, you know, God being the author in the fin or, and Jesus being the author and the finish of our faith. It's God who does the seeking and the saving. It's not anything that we do. We play no part in that. Our hearts are quickened and our conscience are quickened and conviction, and we are convicted by sin because of the touch uh, and the power of the Spirit that lives within us. And that is in us, and that is a part of uh, the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit. So God initiates salvation. It's nothing that we do. Uh, we sometimes like to fantasize about sometimes, you know, somebody might might uh, make the mistake of saying, well, I've, I've read the Bible, I believe it's true, so therefore, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and believe in God. Or I heard a, a particular thing, I considered the evidence here, and, and yes, it's uh, I'm, I'm convinced that there probably is a, a, a God. Now, if you believe that there is a God, if you are, if you are uh, prepared to, to uh, understand who you are in relation to a holy God and what you have to do in order to be reconciled to God, then that's not something that you did yourself. It's because you were convicted by the Holy Spirit to understand that relationship. The second principle is that it is God who establishes the terms of the relationship. Matthew 24 Go back over there real quick, that beginning of the parable, and he said to him, you also go into the vineyard, whatever is right, I will give you. Whatever is right, I'll give you. Now there's a lot in that particular verse uh, that we sometimes we find difficult to sort of grasp. We don't want to grasp it because the Word tells us what God is going to give us for our life and for our witness and for our work. You know, ultimately, if you, if you jump to the conclusion of the, of the movie, if you will, is that the, the final, uh, w there is going to be a judgment, there's going to be a separation of the sheep and the goat. We've talked about that already in, in previous lessons. The wheat and the tares. So everyone has been well warned about what God is going to give or get or, 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 or do in response to our profession or our rejection of Him. He establishes the terms, not us. Whatever is right, and sometimes we are, and shortly on that day of judgment, there are going to be some people who will, who will probably be saying, well, well, that's not fair. 
I, I did this or I did that. And of course, what the Word says is he was going to say, depart from me, you wicked workers of evil. I never knew you. Whatever is right, I will give you. The third principle there is that God continues to call people. John 9. It's, uh, it, let me read that verse real quickly. Jesus says here, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work, and as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But the fourth verse there is saying is that as long as he is in the world, he has to continue to draw people to him. And the same thing holds true for us after Christ was crucified dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended to the Father. He left the comforter of the Holy Spirit who resides within us. And we do. We follow His example by continuing to work for the kingdom while there is still day. What is still day? Because the night is coming. There will come a time when no one can work. And so, even during the... No matter what's going on in the world... We are still to be about the work of the kingdom. Still trying to, to, uh, to, to reach out and to evangelize and to touch those who have not made a profession of faith. God continues to call people. The fourth principle here is all who are redeemed are willing to work. The scripture here is, is about James 2.12, and, and you're all familiar with James. James talks about, you know, where if there is in fact uh, faith, there must be works. James 2.24 says, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. You know, we, we've talked a lot in the in earlier about those, uh, those folks who are, what are, who are considered to be no lordship, uh, who believe in the doctrine of no lordship meaning that just a profession of faith is all that is required for, for salvation. Uh, but we have also seen as we've gone through, uh, time after time after time, that that is proven to be an erroneous doctrine. Is that there is something more than just a profession of faith which is required. There is the acceptance of Christ's Lordship in your life. And so if you accept Him, He is your Lord, you, are, you must be willing to work in the kingdom to serve your Lord. The fifth is that God is compassionate. Matthew 5, you'll recognize Matthew 5 as being a part of the Beatitudes. And if you go back up to, to Matthew 5, you can see who He's talking about here. These, these are people who recognize their need. And God is compassionate for people who recognize their need. Verse uh, Verse 3 of the 5th chapter of Matthew says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jump down to the 6th verse, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. These are, these are people, as he's talking about, these are people that, that God will be compassionate towards because they recognize how much they need God in their life. The 6th principle is that God will keep His promises. I will give you what is right. And he always does that. Exactly, you will be paid exactly what he has said. And of course, that, that holds true in the parable with regard to the wages. It certainly holds true for all of us in regard to what has been promised to us for good and faithful service. 
And then finally this morning, this, this last principle, God gives more than we deserve. Over in Titus 3.5, Titus uh, is talking about uh, we, are, we are rewarded not based on the deeds that we've done, albeit there are certainly many places in the apostles and the epistles that is written where there are different levels of rewards in the kingdom of heaven. And then when we get to heaven, if we've done such and certain, certain things, we're going to be recognized for those things by the raiment that we wear uh, and so forth. But generally speaking, salvation is not based upon anything that we do. It's based only on God's mercy, on God's mercy and God's grace. We could not do anything that deserves His mercy or His grace. He gives that willingness willingly to us. And then finally, in today's lesson, there is a, a little vignette that we can uh, uh, go to in Luke, which is uh, sort of brings this together, I think, with regard to salvation and with regard to the parable about the first being last and the last being first and that we all cross the finish line together. This is, a, this is sort of a, a, a look at, at Christ as He was on the cross, and you will recall that He was crucified between two thieves, two people who, who were uh, uh, very bad people who had done some awful things in their life. It's all a read from just a, a perfect picture of grace, if you will, from Luke, the 23rd chapter, starting with verse 36. Jesus is hanging on the cross between the two thieves, they, death is, is imminent. And of course, those people who are standing around watching, it says in verse 36, the soldiers mocked him coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription also was written over him in the Greek letters, Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And of course, that was, that was meant to be uh, mockingly, you know, sarcastically about the king of the Jews was hanging helplessly upon the cross, or so they thought. In verse 39 it says, Then one of the criminals who was hanged, uh, were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the cross, save yourself and us too. But the other answered, rebuking him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now that, that's about as glorious a promise as a dying person, a dying sinner, can hear. I, I think sometimes that, that in our lives, and I, I would imagine that most of the people who watch this video, uh, most of the people that, that I know have at some point in time in their life have been around someone who is in those final minutes of life. And oftentimes I feel like there's, there's not much you can say, even if they might have some, some trepidation about what this ultimate death, what the ultimate destiny is going to be for this person. It might be their father, it might be their grandfather, their mother, their uncle, their brother. And, and, and sometimes we're very reticent to bring up the spiritual things because of the time. This person is, is so close to death, there's nothing he can do about it now. But of course, you read this, this little vignette here in Luke, and you know it's never too late. Never too late. 
And so as we, as we in fact have the opportunity to sit with those who might be uh, approaching the end of life, and they're in that transition period, and if we have any, any questions at all in our heart about that person's status before the Lord, then we, we have an obligation to bring that up and to, to talk with them about it if it's, if it's still physically possible to do that. But again, it's a glorious promise that you and I can share that today, if you profess faith, Maybe you've never had faith before, but if you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, even in your last minutes, you can be redeemed. And I pray that for, for those who listen and certainly for others that, that we know. Let me close with prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you again for your truth. We ask, O oh Lord, that this word would go forth and that it would return um, multiplied in, in ways in which we will never hear about. But, uh, and we will not know, but we, we just know, Father, that you say that when your word goes forth, it does not come back void. And so we thank you for that. Uh, we pray for all of those who, who are home and, and perhaps may not be doing well. Uh, we just pray your healing hand upon all of those. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.